0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with B9 Lab to talk about educating developers in the blockchain space.
0: So today we're sitting with Elias Haase and Rob Hitchens from B9 Lab. B9 Lab is a company that's providing technical education for developers, specifically in the blockchain space. In this episode, we want to basically start exploring how people can learn to become developers and what kind of tools are out there and what it's been like developing a course around this very fast changing domain so maybe guys you can start by describing a bit of your backgrounds and a little bit more about how b9 lab came to be
2: absolutely so hey i'm elias i am one of the people who started b9 lab we are a blockchain education company pretty much so we focus on building courses doing mainly online education and offering offline classes as well. We started in 2015 and we, we started by building uh, building a course for people we were working with at the time and started ed- educating or you know, building a training for developers. And uh, after we finished that, we had a course ready. So we put it out there, we kind of Looked at the demand and and there was a lot of demand this was early days this was around when you know when frontier was was just kind of just going uh, it's good early days of ethereum and so there was a lot of excitement, but there were not a lot of people who understood how this worked and of course the stack as well didn 't really work very well at the time. lots of moving parts very difficult to get into so that that 's how it started so we launched the training we did some on-site trainings and some kind of video call trainings and then we launched our online training, our Ethereum developer course in May 2016 and have been running it, having, have been running a cohort every month ever since. Uh, we have some more courses that we did. So we, we've done Hyperledger Fabric, we have a QA course, QA and testing, quorum specialization module, course for professionals, so non non-developers. And that's... That's kind of very briefly what's what's happened. We've always focused on education rather than doing ICOs, doing you know looking into uh, too much consulting. We just kind of just focus on on education all of these years. <laughs> well, saying all of these years, but in crypto, <laughs> it's all of these years. <laughs> and yeah, and my background is uh, I'm I'm a developer by training, kind of AI. Genetic computation that kind of stuff neural nets that's where I, I come from and ran a software development agency for a while then got got into crypto I mean followed Bitcoin from probably 2011 so you know late by some standards and uh, then when there was a uh, the ability to actually to, to run code and to build decentralized applications that's that's when I got involved like yeah I got more more involved uh, that, that's me.
3: What about you, Rob? I'm I'm just a guy. I've been playing around with computers for uh, longer than I uh, care to lay out for you folks uh, this morning. But uh, I had my epiphany around the end of 2015, and that was when uh, just every neuron in my brain just kind of went, oh, I know. Uh, smart contracts. I need to figure out about smart contracts, and and so 20, I, I spent a year on a sabbatical, uh, just trying to learn all about smart contracts, and uh, along the way, uh, uh there was there was some travel. I met some people. We there was a group of guys. We made kind of a uh, we made kind of a pact. Uh, that we would just rent this condo and not leave until everybody understood, uh, Ethereum. And, uh, because self study was really rough in those, in those days and a lot of stuff didn't work and nothing made any sense, you know. Uh, along the way, I discovered B9 Lab because, uh, they were one of the first out of the gate with an instructor led system and at the time uh, for me that was that was just like a gift from on high like you know finally uh, so I signed up right away and uh, went through their program and I was really gr- glad I did because I, I I had the impression of some level of understanding of Ethereum on the way in but I didn't realize how much more there was to learn um, but uh, along the way uh, I felt I got a lot uh, a lot more insight a lot more uh, internalized subtle knowledge about what's going on uh, with ethereum and then when when I was done with that you know I was sitting around waiting for my marks right um, and gee I wonder if I passed I wonder, wonder wonder what's going on and I'd reflected upon the previous year and thought well, other people shouldn't have to devote a whole year of their life to this quest. I uh, wonder what I'm going to do. And I started thinking of my own little YouTube series or uh, some kind of series about, you know, things that I learned, the things that took me 12 months to figure out. And uh, when when B9 called it. Was kind of a, a flashback to uh, my high school days. Uh, I thought I was being called to the principal's office. You know, somebody serious is calling me. I'm, I'm in, You
0: were waiting for your grades. I
3: yeah, I've got to be in some kind of trouble here, right? <laughs> and uh, that was that was when they, they let me know that yes, I did pass. I'm like, okay, um, and. Uh, Elias asked me what I was up to, and I said, "Well, I was doing some some beginner-level intro stuff that would help people segue into the advanced stuff that B9 is talking about." And the conversation went back and forth, and I've been uh, helping uh, at B9 Lab, uh, helping with the content and helping the students when they, you know, when the when the hand goes up and they need some help, and here we are.
0: Can you, can you go back to that time when there was no documentation? That sounded really interesting. Like you took this year, like what was there at the time? What were you using?
3: Well, I'll I'll tell you what, you know, we've, we've, I think most of us have been in this field for a while. So you get a sense that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I can learn stuff. Uh, We deal with it all the time. You know uh, what is this new operating system all about?
0: You mean like tech in general?
3: Like, just check in general. Yeah. And I, I, I usually think that you can take anything you can take anything out of the box, uh hardware or software, uh put it put it on your desk, stick it in the rack, do whatever you have to do. Uh and if you just are willing to order enough pizza and spend enough time, you should get through the weekend and you should get out the other side and go, Holy cow, okay, now I understand my way around whatever. And this feeling it never really happened with Ethereum. I mean, you could you could start on Friday night and say, "Okay, I'm going to learn Ethereum this weekend," right? <laughs> but uh, the documentation that was there, like not, not so much. the The tools that were there, not so much. the uh, The blogs that were there was just kind of the blind leading the blind and uh,
1: and getting very quickly outdated.
3: Yeah, just very yeah, and and it was very frustrating because. you you know, I kept finding myself getting led down into these rabbit holes that turn out to be dead ends, that turn out to be a waste of time. And this was very frustrating that self-study was not working especially well for me at that time. They didn't have uh, uh, crypto zombies to kind of, you know, march us through something.
0: Was it just, was it Ethereum specifically that got you excited or was it crypto in general?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I was involved with crypto uh, before Ethereum came along, Um, but what really got me excited was the smart contracts from Ethereum.
1: It's a very common story that we hear from a lot of people that we talk to on this podcast and a lot of people that I talk to personally is um, they were kind of aware of... Bitcoin or like cryptocurrencies as a thing, but it was really when you're able to program something and deploy it and have other people like run your code in a trustless way that it sort of really clicks for people and they see the power of it. I mean, this is something that at the time I had been kind of looking at for a while. And
2: like Madesafe was was a project already and had been for a while and they, they were making progress and it was kind of looking, Interesting. So I, I kept looking at it. Can I build something? Can I build something? And then suddenly, I mean, Ethereum, even though it was a bit chaotic in the beginning and lots of stuff wasn't working, it, it, it worked. And it worked pretty much from the beginning. I mean, you could definitely not build something safe <laughs> uh, or like something secure or something that you know, would perform well or that you could ever use in a production environment, but you could build something and it would run. And I mean, I remember the first time that I built something, and I like then I, I built an interface that was uh, basically populated by events. And I know I remember how exciting that was. You, you click something, and then in the background something happens, and then you get the event that comes back from the transaction, and something in the interface changes. I was like, wow, you know, this this actually works already. I mean, you know, not production, but it does something. So just this element of being able to do something, and being able to write code was was really uh, exciting at the time.
0: Back to that, so so when you guys first got into it, there wasn't that much documentation. You could build some things, but as as you said, Rob, you'd be kind of like led in these bad directions, or you'd end up wasting a lot of time. What what was the beginning of that? How did you start to come up with a curriculum around that? Did you just start to have to like do all the research to weed through that stuff? Did you have groups that you aligned yourself with? Like, what? How did you figure out at the beginning how to teach this stuff?
3: Oh, I didn't figure out at the beginning how to teach this stuff. I, I figured it, I figured out at the end how, how to teach this stuff because there there were a lot of and there were a lot of moments towards the the end there that uh, were uh how can I put it kind of aha moments and I wish someone had explained that to me clearly about ten months ago and so i, I got this idea that why don't I put that at the beginning <laughs> because it clarifies an awful lot of things
2: i mean for for us like it it was it was just time it was really just time like it's i i a lot of the content was built by Xavier as well, who's uh one of our and one of the the B9 lab people as well like for, for me i built built the initial curriculum around the around the video like we, the first series we did was like video call um conversations every week with like a a lesson and I would build it as we went along and it was very basic it's like you know solidity there was there was enough around solidity that you could get a basic thing together and if you had some experience with like C or javascript you could you know, you could see like, okay, there are a few new types and there's like mappings and, and yeah, addresses and so on. Um, so it was very basic in the beginning. And that was just time and, and troubleshooting. It helped though from like, teaching from the b- very beginning, because you uh, end up running in a, into a lot more problems that you have to solve. Because rather than having your own problems, you have to solve, you know, 15 people's problems in the same time, right? And You get to
0: see all the ways they can mess it up. Exactly.
2: And ah, there were I mean, there still are, but, you know, there were immense, immensely many ways to, to mess it up. And then slowly you're building a catalog of like, okay, so this is that. And then Xavier and then later Rob did a lot of work on, you know, explaining the, the why's a bit more, you know, like in the beginning, it was very much like, if you do this, then something will work. And then, you know, they would be more like, okay, so this is a delicate call or, you know, this is what happens uh, the difference between um, a, you know, the cons- a contract instance or a library, you know, like the space in which the scope in which it is executed, et cetera, that came later. In the beginning, it was very much like, let's build a smart contract and deploy it and let's see what goes
1: wrong. Can you guys uh, give an overview of like what your offering is today? Like what is an online course, like a 10,000 foot view of what that looks like going that, through that and what what are like on-site slash offline courses Currently, uh, if you go to academy.b9lab.com, or you go to
2: b9lab.com and you click on Academy, there are courses. There are several courses that you can that you can join. By the time this airs, you will be able to join the Blockchain for Professionals course, which is aimed at people who don't have a great technical background and who just want to, you know, who just want to understand this a bit more. Uh, Then we have the Ethereum Developer Course, which is the oldest course, which is now twelve weeks long. Then we have the uh, Hyperledger Fabric developer course, which is nine weeks long. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a testing and quality assurance course, which is f- specifically for Ethereum. It is that you that you basically, after you've done the Ethereum developer course, or if you're already an Ethereum developer, you can go into that course and you can get more of an understanding how to design a good testing environment, uh, how to do continuous integration, how to deal with some of the... Sp- specificity of, of smart contracts and the immutability. And basically how to avoid some of the problems down the line and become a better tester from the very beginning. And then we have the quorum specialization module, which is something that goes on top of the again, if you're an Ethereum developer or you've got taken the course, you can take this as a specialization, which specifically goes into JP Morgan's quorum. This is uh Rob built this. And that's what we have at the moment later this year we'll have hyperledger sawtooth and a few other ones uh, that that you know that, that will eventually cover but we we are always looking at what the market is doing and what's coming out
0: can i actually ask you you mentioned one of the courses you just mentioned was the um qa and testing course yes super important i think we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast um when you're designing a course like that, are you actually designing the protocol? Like are you designing the checklists? Are you like are you just taking what is out there right now in the Ethereum ecosystem and describing how it's done, or are you actually creating these new strategies as you go?
2: This depends a little bit. So most of the time we will look into what's already there, uh, but sometimes we will we will propose new combinations of tools. Or we will have small scripts that do certain things we don 't really build any major software projects just because you know if we want to do something, we want to know that we can commit to it and keep keep it running. But for the testing course, this is kind of traditional continuous integration and con- traditional testing environment just applied and made to work with ethereum
3: from a student's point of view uh, when they when they join the course uh, they're joined to a cohort, and a, a cohort will be a group of students who are starting the program at the same time as as them. And they'll go through together and communicate in a Slack channel that we use for instant messaging. So we really encourage them to help each other out and discuss the problems and um, un- unblock each other, uh, so to speak. The material itself comes as a, a combination of things. There's, there's written documentation with videos and diagrams and suggested reading uh, linked in there. So um, they get, we basically unfold the lessons one step at a time and each one builds on top of what they learned before. And we give them little exercises that are meant to really drive uh, some kind of point home. Uh, the um, the exercises have high trickiness factor to them, uh, so they I, I usually warn the students that uh, this first exercise is a very deceptively simple sounding assignment. Uh, you should be able to get it done in uh, just a, a handful of lines of code, uh, but actually hiding within it are just a whole uh, pile of um, really important lessons. Uh, So by the time they're done, they understand uh, how to protect themselves from re-entrance attacks. They understand patterns for the safe handling of money. Uh, I sort of take the approach of uh, like teaching novices how to swing a golf club. Uh, There's just a whole bunch of stuff we're going to get right uh, before we move on to higher complexity. And, uh, what the students report back is that uh, one of the best things about the program is that they have the instructor feedback and they they have people who are doing code reviews. So we build up the complexity as they uh, as they go through, and they understand not just why to do things in a certain order, but how the reentrance attack actually works, and not just why you do this and do that and never do this, but how a denial-of-service attack uh, actually works, how to put their house in order and, and keep it that way. So they've got a, a whole pile of um, strong habits that just, just make it so that, you, you know, what am I trying to say? We don't want them to give us a, a huge piece of software and then say, oh, let's retrofit best practices into it. We'd rather teach them best practices right down of the uh, right down in the shoot, and have them give us a, uh, a a lovely piece of software with increasing complexity.
0: Is this very is teaching in this space like significantly different from how it would be in other ecosystems, other like teaching other languages? Teach like do you have to be really creative in the way that you're doing this, or are you using sort of like traditional you know development d- developer education to do this?
3: Um, I, I have an opinion on this. Um I, I'm I'm not formally trained as a as a teacher, so let me be the first to say, uh, what do what do I know about about teaching? But I I do know about myself, uh, and I do know about the way that I learn. I have noticed that the things that uh that really stick over an extended period of time are closely associated with strong emotional experiences uh so things that resulted in extreme joy tend to be remembered and things that res- resulted in extreme terror seem to be remembered right so there's always like hey that was great let's do it again or that was really horrible let's let's never do that again <laughs> right and uh i try to recreate recreate some of the experiences that uh that i went through as i was learning ethereum and things were good and um at different stages along the way, learning about uh, re-entrance attack uh, when the, you know, the DAO fiasco was happening and looking at software that seems logical and, um, and, and and yet it's broken. Um, things from guys like, uh, there's an article by uh, Peter Vesanis that I return to quite often uh, that shows little little piece of software, it looks so simple, it can't possibly be wrong, and yet it is, and I try to remember the, uh, you know, the sinking existential crisis feeling that I had when I was learning about the dangers of playing with smart contracts and immutable code, and I try to recreate that for my students. You know, it's a very safe environment, you're not going to get hurt here, uh, but I can give you this little assignment, send you down the Primrose path, right? And you did this right, you did this right, you did this right, you did this right, but all the money's gone. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we had Trail of Bits on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and they have this great repository called Not-So-Smart Contracts, <laughs> yeah. and it has all of these examples from the DAO to the parity code to like all of these things that are just like, really like oh man i wish this was never written
3: (laughs) it's it's and it's it's uh, to me it it seems um i I think it's i think it's teachable that you know it's it's their solution it's their answer to the problem it's the way they thought made sense and I, i i i try to let it sink in a little bit you know you've got a real problem uh it's a horrible problem you have to find the problem yourself and then I'm a pretty nice guy right so I'll circle back uh tomorrow and say if you're if you still don't see it let me let me give you a hand here and show you how it works but the the idea that if if it, if they're a little emotionally distraught over the issue uh that's because this this is going to sink in and then they'll hopefully never do it again
0: which I guess needs to be part of the education with these, with these types of immutable sales contracts and putting this stuff out in the world. We've talked a lot about
2: that. I mean, the, the, the consequences oh. can be pretty severe. So, you know, it's, I think it's important. We, we try to instill a sense of responsibility or we try to communicate a sense of responsibility because obviously everyone is doing their own path and we get, you know, we get a wide spectrum of people who who come and do the courses, but we try to make people think about the the seriousness. This is not some kind of, you know, thing I throw on the server and it doesn't work, so I just tweak it and it's fine. You know, so this the, these things can affect lives, these things. I mean, you know, there, there will be a point at which this is, you know, life savings gone and, you know, investments gone and all of this. Like, th- these are serious things, right? So we're trying to... We're just trying to drive that home a little bit and, and make people think very, very carefully about these things, both from, from a technical and, and from a social ethical
1: perspective. You guys have been in this space for a long time. You've seen it, what it was like a couple of years ago. How do you feel that the blockchain space, like maybe folks on Ethereum and, or maybe generally, like how has documentation and education progressed? Is it better today than it was three years ago?
2: I definitely think that it is better than it it used to be, and I think also there is a lot of these protocols and a lot of these platforms have become a lot more professional because when when Ethereum came came about, it it was you know just a bunch of people very excited, suddenly a lot of money, and growing very quickly, and a lot of people writing code, and then. Documentation, like a typical problem of software projects, especially, you know, open source projects. Mm-hmm. Documentation is an afterthought. I think if you look at more recent projects, because now the steps are smaller, now that the steps of of change and that differentiation is harder, I think we're seeing more of an attempt to, to attract developers, right? And that means documentation and tutorials. Like, for example, I mean... Uh, Obviously in the beginning Ethereum people went onto Ethereum because it was the only thing around that did what, what what it did. But now, for example, with with Hyperledger, they you know they have a documentation working group, they have an education working group, and there is still a lot of work for them to do, of course. But they are trying very, very hard to from the very beginning attract developers and make them, you know, make people understand what's where, what's what. And so I think it's just out of necessity too, you know, it's just, if you want to, if you want to be adopted, if you want people to do stuff, you need to somehow interest developers. And if I have a choice, I can go this way or that way, and this way seems a whole lot more simple, then I'm going to go that way. You know, it's, it's an obvious choice. So as, as more projects that are more similar come out, you know, this is, this isn't an absolute necessity.
0: That like, you kind of mentioned this before where, or Frederick, I think you mentioned it, that the documentation also needs to be updated, needs to be kind of redone. Do you find like your core, like, I actually had a question a bit about your courseware. Is it like for the online classes, is this videos? Is it text? Is it, what, it, what is it mostly?
2: Videos for general concepts, a lot of text, a lot of images. Rob does a lot of work on, on screencasts and guiding people through different things. It's 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 pretty mixed. I mean, it's still, you know, there there is a lot to there is a lot to read and there is a lot of actual hands-on work to do in terms of updating. That's what a lot of the work that we do. And so every course,
0: every time, like I'm just curious, like how fast is that changing? Is it like you have to definitely review it every single time because so much has changed, or is it like ah oh, six months? Like what's the what's the feeling now?
3: Oh, it's really it's really rapid. When the rest of the world is going. Woo-hoo! you know truffle four is on a beta in production and everybody is like "Woohoo!" i'm thinking that's going to be a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> we have to you know uh because I, I i have to uh and xavier has to go through the whole ethereum from stem to stern and and refactor it so all the examples work and the the videos show you what is actually going to happen instead of what used to happen
2: I mean, this is this is a big part of the work that we do. It's just constantly updating all the materials, reacting to... I mean, even just simple things like broken links, because everyone is constantly switching where they have their content on, on the web and where the documentation is. And I mean, for example, in our Blockchain for Professionals course we constantly have to take out projects that have failed or have disappeared and add new ones and with broken links because the hosting chain, I mean, even just little things because there's this constant churn. We have to be on the ball all the time. Once you've, once you've been through the course, you'll be in our community. That, that's, that's always there. But so because obviously we spend so much time and resources on updating the content all the time, this is something that people can, can tap into as a subscription offering. So after I've done the course... I have time to keep up to date and then afterwards you know i I do a a, there is a a monthly payment and you can keep up to date which includes things like vulnerabilities as well and stuff like that which which can be quite useful
1: i'm really curious to hear what tools you use to like create all this material and manage it and like how do you get all this out there so you know
2: we, we we have someone who is in charge of just the the management of the course production Ursula uh, Uz- um, who is our e-learning expert, and so she does an amazing job at c- kind of creating learning target matrices and looking into what what should be the outcome of this session and you know what materials should be used to do this. I mean, this is pretty straightforward e-learning stuff. And then the learning platform is uh, EdX. So we're running our own EdX platform, which is the 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 platform that was developed by, by a consortium of schools and universities, which is very powerful. I mean, it, it, scales, it scales quite well and kind of has, has everything that we need. But I mean, I have to say that it's, it's, a, it's a fairly straightforward e-learning and, and content production pipeline. Really, the key, the key thing that, that makes this training, I, I would say, and from feedback, that makes this training valuable for students is that you have a full-time access to instructors. You can ask questions... When something breaks, you can ask other students. There is a direct participation. Where where rubber really hits the road is is the instructors.
3: I I I'll add to that. The students will submit projects through uh, uh through our GitHub repo, and it, it really varies. You know, some of them some of them come in there pretty sure that they know all about Ethereum, and and um, some of them come in pretty green. Um, but they'll run into those initial projects. Uh, my my personal favorite is the very first assignment they get. <clears throat> it basically just says, take some money from Alice and split it evenly to Bob and Carol at uh, the end. And, and what's great about that assignment is that it's very cognitively simple to understand what the use case and the business rules are. So we're not going to get lost in what this contract is supposed to do. After, I would say, on average, it's five iterations, <clears throat> they they get it right the first time at least in their mind it works right but it's the instructor circling back and marking up every every second line of the contract and saying you know wrong 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 here's why 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 now try again it's it's in on the one hand it it it, it, it can be a little frustrating for a student who is maybe a little bit on the overconfident side But it's also a growth opportunity. It's a learning opportunity because they are circling around and getting it raised from a kind of sort of compiled the first time quality level to uh, this is actually a proper representation of every known best practice as it applies to this simple little project. Then they go, okay, now I feel like I learned something. And then we go okay great. Now it's time to to move on to exercise number 2. And it's that that iteration with the instructor that really helps them up their game. So that as we get further into the course and they start building much more ambitious projects, they're tackling it uh, with confidence and hopefully with all the lessons that they learned on the on the simple exercises.
1: Now, I can definitely understand that, especially like I've done a lot of self learning. I've done a lot of like EdX courses and stuff. I think it's really easy to cheat yourself when you're. Just doing an EdX course and like following along with an exercise, and you you kind of do it, and then you look at the answer key. and you, uh, It's not exactly the same, but I I see what they're doing. I understand the answer key. Like I get why they're doing it that way, and then you move on, and you don't really actually go through the exercise of correcting that and and pro- properly fixing it in your mind.
3: Absolutely, and and uh, I I think we we get some some really Strong developers out the on the back end it's really it's really interesting to watch them change, especially the overconfident ones that come in early and I think you know this guy knows enough knowledge to be to be really dangerous out there and uh watching them sort of transform from an initially a little bit frustrated because this guy won't let me go on this guy's making me change all kinds of stuff, and then slowly they start to realize that hey um the guy the guy's right. It could be a really successful project, it could have non non trivial value, that's what I usually say, but it means well, hey dude, um do you want to go tell your CEO that you just lost eighty five million dollars? No you do not. That's why you need to figure out how I just stole the money from you. Oh, okay. And then he goes around again, that, you know, create that emotional response. And they come out the other side, I think, with a lot more respect for what this technology can do and, and how to use it safely.
0: The way that Solidity is used, from what I understand, it's quite different from other languages. Do you, in a way, have to, like, unteach them what they knew before and then reteach them this?
3: Absolutely. In fact, uh, at the beginning of the training, um, if I if I can get on my little uh, soapbox for a moment, it actually is kind of I would jokingly call it my soapbox video. But one of the messages there is that uh, it, you've come to this training with experience. Experience means that you know how to approach certain problems in a certain way and you know the pros and cons of approaching problems in a certain way, and you think this is just another language. And a big part of what we're about to teach you is to unlearn all of this stuff because it's going to mislead you. And some of it is big macro stuff, like uh, moving fast and breaking things is not what we get to do here. Nobody ever moved fast and broke a nuclear reactor, so it's just not appropriate uh, for what we're doing here. Uh, and 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 some of it is just the the topology differences. Um, Solidity is not a one-to-one. Re- when I first got into Solidity, I had some pretty wrong ideas about it. You know, I have worked with people who spend upwards of a million dollars a year trying to keep their Amazon Web Services production systems online. And somebody said I get immutable logic, so I thought server. And somebody said, I get immutable data storage, and and so I thought databases and persistence. I thought that, wow, if I've got databases and I've got logic, then I don't need servers anymore, and maybe I'll go make the world a better WordPress built on Ethereum. And I found out that it's not a one-to-one replacement for servers, and it's not a one-to-one replacement for databases. It's something entirely different. And a, a big part of rewiring how the developers think is even the way that they divide the the process, the division of labor, the division of function between server, client, and blockchain is something unlike anything they've ever encountered before. Uh, and so even just figuring out which part should do what and how the data should flow uh, is is something non-obvious and has to be unfolded for them in a certain way. When they get to the end, they understand it instinctively. Uh, now they know how to attack problems with a with a blockchain at the center
2: of it all and i i always like to think of this as you know if you think about voyager the the spacecraft it's you send it off and then that's kind of it right like what you what you have is what you're going to get and if you want it to work 10 15 20 years down the line then it you need to work with that in mind so this is not like this is not a project where you go oh you know like it will evolve over time and will adapt to these things. You kind of depending on what you're building, and this is always obviously always context context related. But if you're building something uh, simple that you think is going to be an important piece of infrastructure, and first you have to realize what is going to be an important piece of infrastructure. But you're building financial infrastructure, and you're building it in a way that either you have to come up with a complicated governance process to change code, or you have to build code that is simple, that you can send off, and that's going to keep flying and doing its thing down the line. It's a, it's a different approach. And uh, in my generation of software engineering and, and you know, learning how to code, this is not how we learn how to build code. We learn how to yeah, you know, fail fast and break things and and can fix them as you go along, right? And so i think this is for some aspects of this this is a just a different mindset
1: i wonder if you dig into this but like the fail fast and break things and and all that stuff that has evolved because of a business model drive it's not because we're bad developers and like breaking things it's uh like because there are other incentives in the world like you have a certain amount of money and a certain amount of runway until you have to ship something and start making money before you can keep coding and, and a bunch of other stuff like this. So if you have to build your entire application up front before you can launch any, anything, how do you like fit that into the real world?
3: Well, you don't have to build the entire application up front before you can do do useful things but you have to come to grips with parts that can be changed the parts that can be added onto, and the parts that are forever you know it's not really that different you know for instance if we're going to build a 90-story skyscraper we have to dig a hole in the ground and pour foundations and we just have to understand that when we get to the 38th floor um there's a lot of stuff built now, and the foundations are kind of the way they are. You don't, you don't get to change that. So uh, it's, it's about awareness of when things are, are finalized. So um, there are definitely ways to keep going in, a, in an additive process, but it takes some investment up front to say, you know, to reach a point where you can say, I am quite certain that the foundation is going to be satisfactory over an extended period of, of time.
0: Are you are is all of this work happening on test nets or are you actually like in are you actually deploying to mainnet when you're doing the training
3: we are uh, we are teaching them the whole the whole spectrum of, of tools in, including making their own private nets uh, so little developer nets like ganache truffle truffle develop uh, but also building their own multi node testnet so they can play around with things and build test suites and then of course publishing on uh, testnet if you want to show other people how your proposed design seems to work Uh, and i'm often reminding people that this would be a good time for a bug bounty and an independent code audit Uh, and eventually with great fanfare and ceremony uh, your wonderful live app would probably debut on the live Ethereum network.
0: So I want to ask a little bit about the ecosystem stuff. A lot of this educational stuff seems to have come right out of the Ethereum community. You've ex- you've expanded a little bit outside of that. But there are, are there other ecosystems communities that you're looking at maybe expanding into? Now there's all sorts of projects and every project wants to build their own ecosystem. Do you feel like... Yeah, are there any that are exciting right now that you guys are thinking about like moving towards? Is there anything like
2: So, I mean, no, no. Uh we are we're looking at everything that's that's worthwhile and I mean, this is I think it's always healthy to look across different protocols because, you know, if you get too much into groupthink Eventually, you're going to make mistakes, right? You know, if, if everyone thinks along the same lines, then you get a problem. And I think one of the things that Ethereum has done reasonably well is being open to other ideas. Most of the community, in comparison to a few to to other communities that have been very uh, adamant about, you know, b- being the right approach. So I, I think this is definitely something that that we're doing, and you know, we, we we're looking at uh, private networks as well. And I think maybe it is important. There are just these are different communities. That have formed for different reasons, the ethereum network uh, well the ethereum community has a certain political ideological bent and attracts a certain group of people who are doing this or at least initially we're doing this for for reasons of like you know techn- technical excitement and uh, ideological ideas and building the future of the internet and stuff like that. The managed network or the the kind of enterprise internal network crowd is obviously very different so we get people who want to improve ledger validity internally so they want to make sure that if something changes in their company's ledger they know you know because i mean this is a huge problem for banks right now just to know whether someone managed to get in and do something or not so this is this is a big interest there I mean, I I don't want to single out anything specific at the moment because I don't think that at the moment there's something where I go, this is amazing. We, you
1: know, we have to do this. I have a bit of a related question and has any project or company ever reached out to you to say, can you create us a course on this thing?
2: Absolutely yes. I mean, we we do get we do get quite a bit of that because obviously people see that we have a throughput of developers, and so one way of making sure that people start adopting stuff is to make it very accessible and to you know to offer it somewhere, and especially if your course like if your protocol ends up next to Ethereum and Hyperledger, then you know that that can be good. So we do get requests, but we our process is always we we have a technical steering group internally. We look at the protocols and we don't do sponsored content like one of the things that we've done from the very beginning is we're not aligned with any protocol uh, any company attached to a protocol with any specific community we've always been pretty honest about the shortcomings and the advantages of different things we pick projects either on technical merit or on pure demand you know because this is another thing where sometimes a project isn't necessarily like there yet we have experience digging out how it works. And so if a lot of people say, we are really excited about this, we want to know, then we'll look into it.
1: Let's focus uh, the ending here. We'll have to wrap up a little bit. What's your, what's both of your hopes for this space? What do you hope will happen over the coming five years? <laughs> I want to preface this briefly by um, my what I see
2: as a, as a potential as potential risks and then I'm going to end on a positive note.
0: We actually also did have the question what is your fear?
2: <laughs> so what is your fear? This is not the this is not the B9 lab company position. This is me uh me kind of thinking about this. But I think what we've seen is the space the group of people that advance this technology that are making the decision, that are doing the implementation. It's a relatively homogenous group. Like just culturally homogeneous group, and I think that there is, you know, we talked about we talked about uh, groupthink before, and I think that this is this is kind of along this along similar lines, because there is the potential that parts of this, deservedly or not, will form the foundation of future financial infrastructure, and maybe even more than that, digital infrastructure for many people to be used, and this goes back to. You know, the same problems that we've had with the beginnings of the internet and previously is that if you have a group, a homogenous group to build the foundation for you know maybe millions of people in the future, who knows, then any blind spots and any omission on their part has an outsized effect, right? So if we have a group of people with a certain experience of life and certain thoughts and someone who's not from that group is then kind of through, you know, possibly through network effects or whatever, uh, ends up having to use that platform or, you know, kind of being incentivized into the direction to be using that platform, then that can have a fundamental uh, impact, right? And I mean, we've seen this with Facebook. It's a, it's a relatively small group of people that build a communication platform for many, many people all over the world. And suddenly that has some severe consequences. My, my fear is this, that we do the same thing again,
0: you bake in all the biases and all the problems and all the kind of vice orientation.
2: Even more so than with Facebook, because technically you could still have a court say, Facebook, you have to change your uh, your algorithm or, you know, now it's a national company or whatever. But with, with, immutable, with immutable systems, you don't have that opportunity. So if you have network effects and you have decentralized applications, then right, you know, th- then that's it. And this is not me saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that, if we want this to be something positive for the world, I think we ought to think about this hard as the people who make it happen, because we have a responsibility not to fuck this up. Because if we fuck this up, then they could have severe consequences, and that's shit for everyone. So, if we believe that this can be a force for good, we have to be fucking good at this, not to not to fuck it up. So, you know, I think everyone—it's everyone's responsibility—to make sure that. As many different people from as many different backgrounds as possible get access to and to community spaces, get access to and introduced to these these groups, and to participate and the tools and are not taken seriously, right? Because this is better for all of us. So th- that's my take, and I, I think there is a possibility that we can make this happen. What is the hope then? The hope is that we don't fuck it up
1: i've heard this uh, example once which which i think is pretty good In that there's a very vocal part of the community of the general blockchain cryptocurrency community around this phrase bank the unbanked but almost everyone working in this space are banked so it's actually like not really happening and it's kind of hard to make that happen unless we involve the unbanked into this.
2: And then, then maybe, you know, maybe the unbanked, who who whoever they are, may, you know, maybe it's not a question of making them banked, but maybe it is them being able to do their stuff effectively and rather than someone coming in and going like, hey, now you're banked. And uh, no one asked whether anyone wanted to be banked. I don't know, but Rob, what's what? what is your, what is your hope?
3: <laughs> the hope, well, the the fears are pretty much covered in uh covered quite nicely actually in season 3 of black mirror if i'm if i'm allowed to so every, every once in a while i think it's good to just kind of look at things like that and remind myself okay this is what we're going to try not to build um and and not support anybody else who seems to be trying to build and you know the big hope is that some various layers of infrastructure are going to get built up because it's it's very difficult right now to do really meaningful projects without dealing with basic stuff like identity for example or things like things like supply chain are very difficult to tackle when you're just by yourself. On the user friendliness side, for a consumer-facing application, you know, my my threshold is it's got to be so easy that my mom can use it and she doesn't know she's using Ethereum. You know, at the at the edge of the network, it would be great to see some infrastructure-level stuff. Uh, just becoming more more commonplace and and right now there are lots of horses in lots of races and it's not exactly clear which which one will come out on top my hope for the next 5 years or so is that a lot of that stuff will become commonplace and just like everybody's got a browser now we won't be asking them to to move the world you know to get a browser uh, get get the basic dependencies all set up so that they understand what's going on. And hopefully at the edges and throughout the system, people will have solutions for uh, for the basic infrastructure stuff, basic solutions to basic issues like uh, identity with privacy and selective disclosure and uh, what about edge cases? What if I've lost my key? How do I get it back? What's the procedure for that? And hopefully the average man on the street will be familiar with this infrastructure and they'll be able to help each other and so the applications won't seem quite so mysterious and we can start building things for the betterment of the of the society that we want to see
1: yeah i think that's a great point and despite you know the education in this space has come a long way like we said Um, it's a lot better today than it was three years ago. It's still very hard to get into this space. It's still very, very hard to write an application. If you get into Ethereum and you say, oh, well, what if I want to send a private transaction? Well, then you need to go to this exchange and buy some Zcash and do this or that thing and download this thing. And it's almost impossible to, like you say, do anything actually meaningful without getting bogged down in detail. My hope would also be that over the next five years, we work to remove a lot of these things a lot of the boundaries and walls absolutely
0: i mean i think that it speaks to the work that you guys are doing um thanks for doing this this is really cool that you guys are actually working with this community and working smartly to create these programs for them so that uh yeah more people can actually
1: do something cool indeed thank you very much thank you thank you
0: thanks for joining us and for talking with us today and to our listeners thanks for listening